0: We are in Lent, this is where we find ourselves uh, starting this 40-day journey uh, along with the church, and um, Lent is the oldest season of the church, and it's a season in which uh, the church calls us to come back to the Lord in whatever way that looks like for you, uh, it's probably as unique as we are as people, and, um, and our journey back to God, our journey of opening ourselves up to God is going to look different uh, as we all are different. But, um, but it really is a season, I think, full of grace and full of, of kindness that we would be called to repent. I was reading an Episcopal priest, uh, something that she wrote last week, and she said that probably the most ethical and the most honest thing that any group of gathered humans can do in this day and age is to confess The most ethical thing that a group of gathered humans can do in this day and age is to confess. That is so rare. I think for me Lent comes at this time, and I was talking with someone, I've probably done Lent like 30 times. And there's been times that like I hated it. There's been times I welcomed it. It's been so varied. And the really beautiful thing about the church season and about the consistency at which the church invites us into the life of being a Christ follower is the church does not change. Every Ash Wednesday, we still come and the words are still, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so it's this really beautiful, consistent rhythm in our lives. And, you know, I probably my experience is I don't really know exactly how I was experiencing any Lent, any given Lent, until I got to the next Ash Wednesday. And I could look back on my life and my heart and def, you know, see more clearly, like, okay, that's what was going on in me the year before. But I will say that it's a grace of the church to invite us into a place of confession, which, uh, like I said, is not the rhythm and not the expectation of our society most certainly not our leaders, uh, and most certainly really not the broader church. So it's a practice that makes us more human, and why it does is because we are all made in the image of God. If you don't believe that, then you're going to have a hard time with Lent or confession. But if you can land with the church and saying that every person, no matter where they were born, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, is made as a beautiful expression of the image of God, then confession is simply aligning ourselves with our creator, with the one who made us and holds us. And confession and repentance then are the opportunity, they're the gateway, they're the invitation to be the most beautiful, most true expression of who we are as people made in the image of God. Because through confession and repentance, we come more and more and more into Christ's likeness, we look more like Him. So that's Lent, and I hope that you embrace it in the way that feels most true to you and most honest to you. The church is also called uh, Lent, the wilderness, uh, forty days in the wilderness, and that's uh, that's because sometimes it feels like that. It feels like uh, it's lonely and it's hard. It's hard to look at the state of your own soul. It's hard to be honest about things that you really don't want to be honest about. But there's something really powerful when we do that together as a community. But the wilderness, if you, if you notice in this narrative, it's Jesus who was drawn to the wilderness, not because he like, chose to, not because it was like his great idea. And we should never really choose hardship just for the sake of it. But the Spirit of God led into the wilderness. It was the Spirit of God that led him there for his good. And it is the same Spirit of God that in this season leads us into the wilderness. Because it's in those lonely, hard, unlivable places most of the time that we find out who we are. We find God. What I would like to say is, is the wilderness finds us out. I was a, a wilderness guide, like in the natural sense, like the Colorado wilderness, um, years and years ago. So many years ago that when I told someone that, uh, actually a few weeks ago, he looked at me and he said, "That's really hard to believe." <laughs> and um, it is hard to believe. Now I have the dad, 35, and so um, I don't. I, I you know it was a lifetime ago that I was tromping around the wilderness, guiding people and. And when I was trained um, to do this, we had like a month long training and I was like the most horrible person that had ever been created. I mean, I was like cussing up the mountain, I was mad, I was accusatory, I was cold. I like, it was, I mean, and to be fair, like we all were. And, and also to be fair, our guide team leaders made it that way on purpose, like forgot our dessert a lot of times in our, in our packs. Like, Oops, we went the wrong way and went out like, so, so were try, there was like some of like, they're trying to press this on us. But the point is that I was, I saw what a horrible, wretched person I am. It was the wilderness. The wilderness found me out. But also at the end of that summer, I was probably the, more, the, more, the most centered that I've ever been in my life. Because in the wilderness, in that place of repentance and confession and being pressed, metaphorically, we tend to find peace because we come face to face not only with ourselves but with the Spirit of God who guides us into those places and who's present with us, who leads us, who transforms us, who makes us into a more beautiful expression of who we are in him. So all that to say, church, we don't have to walk into Lent or any wilderness season in our lives with fear, with condemnation, with apprehension, because it's where the church has for thousands of years met Christ. And so whatever Lent is for you, embrace it with the whole of who you are. What happened in this narrative with Christ is that the tempter, Satan, the devil, however you conceptualize that, came to him and offers these three temptations. Appeal to his hunger, appeal to his maybe a sense of wanting power, a sense of who do you really trust. And In all three, Jesus refutes them with the law which is really beautiful because it's the same law that the people of God like, could not keep in the wilderness in the 40 days as the Israelites like, roamed around the wilderness. The same law that they could not keep, Jesus keeps. And he uses that as a refute against the temptations. But more importantly, what's going on there to me is a model of what Christ is like the rest of his time walking the earth. And it can be, I think, summarized in this, that Jesus said later, I do only what I see the Father doing. That is to say, I trust the Father with the entirety of who who I am. And that is something that human beings just don't get. Peter, later, when Jesus says, I'm trusting the Father, I'm following the Spirit till the very end, I'm fulfilling my purpose in the cross, Peter was like, no, 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 no. And he says, What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. That's harsh. Have you ever said that to a friend? Don't. But he says, Get behind me, Satan. That's that voice again. That's that voice saying that I can have the kingdom without the cross. Jesus was on the cross in his last hours. And Romans. Roman soldiers came and they said, they said something really similar to what we see here. They said, if you are the Son of God, then remove yourself from this cross and forego the suffering. Do you remember that? If you are the Son of God, take the kingdom and forsake the cross. See, people had a history around Christ of just not understanding what he was about. Because first and foremost, before it was about his deal and what he wanted, it was about submitting to the purpose and the plan of God. Because what the tempter was doing is he wasn't like coming to Jesus saying, like when the Greek, when it says, if you are the son of God, that's a conditional in the Greek. So the only way it could really be translated right, if you are the son of God, is that if Satan did not actually know who Christ was, but he did know so we could translate this since you are the son of god does that make sense he knows who he is and so what he's coming to christ saying is since you are the son of god then turn these stones into bread then jump, you know fling yourself off from this place and just show how great god is or bow before me what satan is trying to do to christ is to reframe his identity in christ and that's the greatest temptation i think of all it's the temptation that we face since you are a son of god since you are a daughter of god forsake all that, that god has for you don't worry about trusting god but but kind of do it your way I mean, we see it in our leaders all the time. We see it in the people that, that run our country. That I can, I can because I, I have this privileged position as a Christian, then I can do whatever I want and just say it's God, right? I mean, the thing that's so frustrating, and I'm sure you are with me in this, is when people use the name of God to like, justify all this stuff that God is not even about. Are you with me? We see it in, 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 in the American church. There's sermons and theologies about, well, since we're Christians, since we're sons and daughters, then it means, like, it means that we should have everything that we need. It means we should start, turn stones into bread all the time. We should never want for anything, and we should be healthy and happy and rich. It's not denying our identity. It's reframing it in a way that doesn't honor who we are in God. And it's reframing it in a way that that conveniently like just skips us past anything that has to do with suffering or confession or namely trust in God. Because in all of this, what Satan is saying to Jesus is like, if you are really who you are, why do you need to trust God? Why would you go this route? And we hear as Jesus starts healing and setting people free and being the beautiful expression of the kingdom of God on the earth, that we see what God is like through looking at Christ. We see that he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. We see in Christ like a deep, deep, deep trust in God. Maybe for us, what Lent would mean is that we as a community, that we don't reframe Our identity in God, that we embrace it wholly, which means that as sons and as daughters of God, that we trust with all of our hearts, we trust Him, and we let Him lead us to repentance. We let Him lead us to a place where He's all that we have. Because I think we've seen enough, and the world has seen enough of Christians turning stones into bread. What we need is the brilliant, vibrant, beautiful church that wholly trusts in God. That is Jesus or nothing. And what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you? See, like, when Lent calls us into fasting, it's not just so like we can give up alcohol or we can like, you know, have healthier habits, and, and that's good to have, you know, healthy habits. But at the heart of fasting, it's it's that we t- it's we let go of this tangible world, we let go of this temporal reality, and we're swept into something that's eternal and lasting. We fast in hopes of something so much greater. When we, as this prayer book says, that we embrace self-denial, that we, we, we try to, as best we can, kind of silence all of our needs and everything that screams that everything that we desire or need has to be met right now, we try to silence that as best that we can with the help of the Spirit so that we can open our hearts up to a greater reality of being met and held and loved. When the prayer book invites us to, the church invites us to, to meditate on God's holy word. Like it's not just to like, you know, get theological doctrinal points. It's, it's to be made even more aware of the reality of who God is and who Christ was among people and who he is among us today. It's to know the story. See, all the practices of Lent, what they do at the end of the day, they call us into a greater place of awareness of ourselves and trust in God. That when we are tempted to redefine what that looks like, to follow Christ and to be a son and daughter of God, we, like Christ, can say, No. Be it suffering, be it hardship, I'm following Christ. And know what, every confession and every penance in every wilderness, it draws us into beautiful places. That's where it leads. So it's worth it. It's worth it, every one of us, to trust Christ with the whole of who we are. I was talking to Janie, I'm, I'm closing. it's so tempting to make our journey with God about something else. Like be it a a political stance sometimes or be it like pop psychology or be it like about we perceive that we need at the time. But it's so shallow and unrewarding We're invited into something so much deeper and richer. And when we pray for you, we pray that you would be led into deep waters with Christ. That you would trust Him, that we all would, and that we'd see all the beautiful, the glorious, the profound. It comes from that. So may you find him in the wilderness. Thank you for listening to the Bloom Church Podcast. For more information on who we are and how you can get involved, visit our website at bloom.church.